Good morning. Welcome to everyone to the Wednesday morning shiur. Thank you, Frida, as always, for the important introduction. This week's parsha is Parshas Noach. The title for today's class is Clarity Amidst Chaos. I think we can all agree these are chaotic times and we need clarity. This month, the month of Cheshvan, is anonymously sponsored in honor and with gratitude to Rosh HaYeshiva Harav Yochanan and Rebetzin Rivka Zweig for their unique contribution to Torah learning and meaningful impact to Jewish life. May our learning bring true unity, shalom, and healing to our entire Jewish family worldwide. Uh, sometimes I think people might think that anonymous sponsors are people that don't really exist, but they very much exist. And these are very special people that are sponsoring with uh, the fullest of hearts uh, today, today's class and this month of classes. We very much appreciate their support and love and our continued learning together, God willing. This week is also anonymously sponsored in the merit of this learning to bless our family, our children, and grandchildren with Torah learning, ease of shidduchim, parnasa, good health, shalom bias, and bracha for all in the community, and Le'iloi Nishmas Yitzchak Ben Zasman HaKohen and Le'iloi Nishmas Rachel Basperol. These anonymous people also exist and they're good friends and we wish that the davening that they have for all of Pal Yisrael, just like the previous mention of sponsors, uh, all of it should come true. And the Nishamos of Yitzchak Ben Zasman HaKohen and Rachel Basperol should have an aliyah. And as Frida mentioned a moment ago, we are davening for so much nowadays I will be echoing those sentiments uh, for all of Bal Yisrael in a moment. There are literally no adequate words to describe the feelings of our Jewish nation in the aftermath of this horrific attack by Hamas and their cohorts this past Shemini Atzeres. I actually tried. I tried writing words like atrocity and travesty and horror and it just didn't come close. So I'm just gonna leave it at that. We have no words to describe. On top of the particulars of this catastrophe are the seismic reverberations that have the potential, God forbid, of unleashing World War III. And certainly that is everyone's biggest fear in addition to the imminent peril and danger of our friends and families and Jewish nation. We all must for the immediate return of those who have been taken hostage, never before has Achenu Kalbeis Yisrael Ha'omdin Bashivya meant so much for most of us alive today. We must also daven for the safety of our brothers and sisters that are fighting our war and for the speedy comforting and healing of all those that are suffering losses for the future safety and well-being of our Jewish nation and for the prevention of a third world war. We need to be davening vigorously and fervently for all of those things. The world today is topsy-turvy and new crises are rapidly emerging. In order to find clarity amidst the chaos, we must first list many of the points of confusion that are facing our Jewish people as well as the world at large. Is it safe to stay in Eretz Israel? 
If I'm able to choose to be in Eretz Yisrael or elsewhere in the world, how should I decide? These are questions that I am getting on a somewhat regular basis. Is America, whether it be North America, Central America, South America, Europe, are any of these continents safe for the Jews? If I live on these continents, should I be staying or preparing to emigrate? It's like, for example, selling assets, getting finances in order. Of course, everyone should always have their passports at the ready. And by the way, to which safe haven? Where am I going exactly? How should we as Jews handle the negative propaganda and disinformation from all sectors? Political figures, colleges, student groups, the press, private businesses. And of course, by now, I'm sure all of us are familiar with this ridiculous disinformation of the missile or the rocket that exploded a hospital in Gaza as having come from the IDF, when in fact, whatever happened, which itself is not clear, either it damaged the hospital or it was next to the hospital, it was either an intentional firing from jihad sources or an accidental misfiring. Either way, classic example of horrible disinformation. How do we handle that? If I live outside Eretz Israel, should I consider going to Eretz Israel and do whatever I can to help fight, heal, comfort, teach, counsel, work in any capacity to assist the war efforts? Here or in Eretz Israel, how should I talk to my youngest children and students about our enemies and the current violence and the current volatile situation? How should I cope with my own anxieties and help others with theirs? There may be a symposium on that specific question next week, so stay tuned for that. How should I think about the next few weeks, few months, and few years financially, educationally, relationship-wise, life goals and mission, etc.? Now, obviously, we cannot conclusively answer all of these dilemmas, and certainly not for all people and circumstances. Nonetheless, I do think that through the Torah, there can be provided some directional factors and considerations that ought to significantly help us when we apply specific Torah lessons to our individual lives. Parshas Noach is uniquely qualified to serve as a foundational guide to our tumultuous times, as it sort of nowadays feels like a conceptual global deluge is what seems to be happening and brewing. So let's begin just looking at the sentences of the beginning of the parsha. The opening sentence is that these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a completely righteous man in his generations. God walked with Noah. That's the opening sentence. Then the Torah tells us Noah gave birth to three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yefes, and the world was destroying itself and filled with that word Hamas, which does not seem etymologically to be related to the Hebrew word violence, although I'm sure it's no coincidence. God saw that the world was becoming destroyed and that all of the people on earth and animals were becoming ruined. 
God said to Noah, this is the end of all flesh that has come before me because the land is filled with Hamas, which either means violence or robbery. Behold, I will be destroying them with the earth. <clears throat> then Hashem proceeds to instruct Noah about the specifics of building a teva and that it has three floors, <clears throat> first floor, second floor, third floor, and the dimensions of that teva. And God says, I'm bringing this flood onto the world to destroy everything, but I will establish my covenant with you. You will come to the teva, you and your sons and your wife and the children of your wives, uh, I'm sorry, and the wives of your children with you. And from all the species of the animals, you will take various amounts. Everyone is going to live with you on the ark. Plus, you need to provide food for everyone. The rabbis tell us that Noah took specific types of food for different animals. I think the correct reading of the verses is that Noah actually provided environments, habitats for each animal according to their type and style of living. And then Hashem said to Noah, after the ark was constructed, you should come, Noah, to the ark, because I see you as a righteous person in this generation. And in another seven days, there will be a devastating rain for 40 days and nights, and I will erase all existence from on the face of the earth. Noah did this. Noah was 600 years old when the Mabul, the flood, came to the earth. So there are various points to discuss, but let's boil them down to three questions. Number one, why is the story of Noah and building the ark framed in the context of Noah's offspring, Shem, Ham, and Yafes, as opposed to his righteousness? In other words, the Torah should simply say that Noah was a righteous person in his generations, and Hashem said to Noah to build the ark, right? Obviously, included with that is the implosion of civilization and their ruinous ways, but it seems to not be specifically relevant at the outset of this story to tell us of Noah's children for two reasons. A, it doesn't seem to be relevant, and two, we already know that he had children from the end of Parshish Barishas. On top of that, if you want to mention later that the children go onto the ark, well, you're going to do that anyways. So what's the point of beginning this whole <clears throat> conversation that Hashem has with Noah about constructing the ark with the fact that Noah had three children? It's information we know. It's information that will be repeated later. And it seems to have no bearing on the fact that the world is becoming a destroyed place that God is going to allow this flood to take place. That's question number one. Question number two. When Hashem tells Noah to enter the ark, Hashem says, Hashem said to Noah, go into the ark with all your household, for you alone have I found righteous before me in this generation. What's interesting is that Hashem doesn't say this to Noah when he tells him to build the ark. Hashem does not say to Noah, hey Noah, build an ark. I'm destroying the world. Because only you have I found to be righteous. Hashem does not say that. It's only after Noah builds the ark that Hashem tells Noah himself that Noah is righteous. Now, before Hashem said this to Noah, in Parshas Noah, the Torah tells that to us, the readers of the Torah. By the way, Noah was a completely righteous person in his generations. But Hashem doesn't say it to Noah. And the question is, why not? 
from the very beginning of Hashem's instruction to Noah to build the ark, tell Noah that it is only you that I have found to be righteous. Another interesting side point that we're going to get to is that the Torah narrates to us, like I mentioned, that Noah is a tzaddik tamim in his generations. He is a completely righteous man in his generations. But later, when Hashem is speaking to Noah, Hashem says to Noah, behold, I have seen you to be righteous. Hashem does not mention the word tamim, completely righteous. And Rashi tells us that this teaches us a famous teaching that a person should not say the entire praise of a person to the person themselves, but rather only some of their praise. When it comes to a situation when the person of whom we are praising is not in the room, then we can say, maybe even should say, all the praises of the person, but not to the person themselves. So we're going to get to that side point later because it's a very interesting teaching and its relevance is uh, extremely important today. Question number three. Given the righteousness of Noah and the fact that he was literally the saving grace of the world, and what I mean by that is that Parshas Barashas concludes with Noah finds favor or grace in the eyes of Hashem. So he's literally the saving grace of the world. Why is Noah not considered one of the forefathers of the Jewish people? We don't say, Eloke Noah, Avraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Yitzchak, We don't do that. It's only Avraham, Yitzchak, Yitzchak. Why not Noah? The Torah says he's completely righteous. So it seems to really beg the question that we are all here only by, so to speak, the grace of Noah, of course, it's Hashem who saved him. Then why not include him among our founders? So I'd like to begin with understanding some of the greatness of Noah, but also some of his limitation. Noah definitely understood and internalized that a human being is meant to have a relationship with Hashem and that a human being is created in the image of Elohim. Now, the reason I say that is, number one, it says Elohim walked with Noah. So clearly, Hashem is not having relationships with people that are not desiring, wanting, or willing to have a relationship with him. Noah definitely understands the concept of walking with Hashem. And it's not just simply that Hashem spoke to Noah, it's Hashem walked with Noah. That implies a relationship of durability and ongoing nature. In addition to that, we can presume that Noah understands that a human being is created in the image of Elohim because the Torah emphasizes in a few places Noah's toledos, Noah's offspring. Now, when the Torah itself tells us of the Toledos of man, Zeh Sefer Toledos Adam, it specifically mentions that Adam is created in the image of Elohim. That man is made in the Demus, in the likeness of Elohim. So that begs the question, what does it really mean to be in the image of Elohim? And here are some very important concepts that are true from various early commentaries explaining the concept of Tzelem and Demus Elohim, specifically more Tzelem Elohim. Rabbi Elias from our Yeshiva High School actually wrote a piece this past week listing several of the opinions, including Rambam and Ibn Ezra and others. Um, so I'm just going to synopsize some of those opinions and a little bit more about what does it mean to be created in Tzelem Elohim. One is free choice. 
the fact that we are in the image of Hashem and we know that Hashem decides what to do means that we also decide what to do. Now there's a ridiculous and horrible article that just came out in the New York Times yesterday from a man, a Dr. Sapolsky, that wrote a book on how nobody has free choice. It's abhorrent. He's a neuroscientist and it's just absolutely inane. Um, I would like to have him and Dr. Finkelstein, who's also a neuroscientist, debate this subject. I sent Dr. Finkelstein an email today. And I suggest that we have to understand very clearly that this insanity that we've been witnessing over the last decades has been promulgated for so many decades by absolutely false notions of reality. One of them is the one I just mentioned, that there is no concept of free choice. Here's a man, Stanford graduate, doctorate, blah, blah, blah. He's literally writing a book on the subject, how free choice does not exist. And anyone who thinks otherwise is basically stupid, even though, of course, he knows that that's going to invite tremendous criticism at some, from some uh, people. Another great perpetration of evil and introduction of inanity into the world of academia is evolution not being instigated by God, but just somehow happening. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as evolution, but all of creation comes from God, and God also created with a methodology of evolution. I'm just mentioning this now, not because it's absolutely germane to our Dvar Torah, except that what we are fighting against and have to know that we are fighting against is the introduction of false ideologies that's literally eating away at the fabric of a human being being a Tselem Elohim. A human being cannot act with the dignity of a human being if he does not accept that he has free choice. It's simply not possible. And that's the unraveling that's been happening globally over the last many decades. So again, what does Tselem Elohim include? Free choice, dignity, self-control, selflessness, spirituality, potential of infinite existence. All of this is under the umbrella category called Tselem Elohim. The ability to act like Hashem, to be in a relationship with Hashem long-term, hence infinity, self-control, to be giving like Hashem, all of this is being in the Tselem Elohim. Thus, the fact that the Torah opens Parshas Noach with the Noach's Toledos, Noach's offspring, which the rabbis say also means his good deeds is explaining to us that Noah's saving grace, in other words, what qualified Noah to be the person that was able to rescue humanity from utter destruction, even though most of humanity was destroyed, but nonetheless, we have human beings today because we all stem from Noah, is that Noah himself raised Toledos. He raised children with the understanding of these qualities and capabilities that we mentioned. Free choice, self-control, selflessness. All of this are the types of teachings and the ways that Noah raised his own children. I have other proofs from it, uh, to that from the rabbis, but now is not the uh, time for it. Let's just move forward and some of it will become more clear. It is because of Noah's children 
that he is instructed to preserve humanity and the world. In other words, what I'm arguing is if not for the fact that Noah was raising children, Noah himself would not be chosen to build an ark. According to all opinions, Noah is unable to transform the world around him. That's clear. The whole world needs to be destroyed. We have a famous discussion when the Torah says Noah was a righteous man, completely righteous in his generations. Does it mean that it was only in contrast to the wicked people of his generation that he was considered to be so righteous? But had he lived in the generation of Ab? Or is it that really he was righteous even in Abraham's generation, and he would be more righteous had he existed in the generation of Abraham. But according to all opinions, Noah is not as righteous as he can be, because he would depend on an Abraham to be more righteous. The rabbis and the Torah never qualify Abraham's righteousness. Nobody says, hey, you know what? If Abraham had lived in Moshe's generation, he would have been even more righteous. So there's a certain inner drive and strength of righteousness that Abraham Avinu has and Noah does not have. And we'll explain more now. Noah is essentially a survivalist in that he allows for humanity to continue, but Noah is not a world changer. It is Abraham that introduces the concepts of human transformation and ongoing development, plus a personal a one-on-one -on -one bonded relationship with Hashem that exists in this world and will infinitely endure. Despite the fact that Noah has a relationship with Hashem, Noah never makes that potential of infinity concretized to the infinite. We see this in many ways. My father has brilliant uh, shiurim even in the mid-70s describing the differences between Noah and Abraham. And this is an upshot point of one of the differences. Noah maintains self-control but he doesn't really rise above the need for self-control. We see that because he even he's even suspected by one of the birds, uh, by the ravens, that the, ra the male raven suspects that Noah sends him out to go see what's happening after the flood because he wants to be a mate to the female raven. That's one of the uh, teachings of the rabbis. In any event, Abraham concretizes man's potential of the infinite and actualizes man's connection to the infinite. This has the ability to transform the world. In the absence of Abraham, the best that the world can hope for and achieve are some survivors. That's what happened in the time of the flood. The fact that the world will rapidly descend to the inanities that we spoke to a moment ago We've been discussing all this woke stuff, gender stuff, all this craziness, the rejection of what it means to be a human being. The fact that we've been discussing this for years, make no mistake about it, is at the roots of what's happening today. It's why the world can believe that Israel would bomb a hospital intentionally, despite the fact that Israel has always been the most humane of combatants in a military war situation. So in the absence of Abraham, the best that the world can hope for and achieve are some survivors. However, with the presence of Abraham and his accomplishments, the world can instead seek a utopian existence. The Jewish people and the gift of the Torah are meant 
to carry forward the Avraham mission. As the ones entrusted with this mission, the answer to clarity amidst chaos is for each individual Jew to relentlessly pursue his or her best contributions of the transformation of self and the world. Included, of course, in these activities are the following, protection of our nation, speaking the truth. It's insane, literally insane, to write a book that free choice does not exist. Nebuch, guy's crazy. Be rigorously truthful to ourselves about ourselves, our foibles, our mistakes, our indiscretions. We need to be rigorously truthful to ourselves about ourselves. We can't be truthful about some things and not about other things. It doesn't work. Remind the world of the true dignity of true humanity. So the answers to all the above questions which we listed at the start of this discussion, where should I live, where should I go, what do I do, all of those types of questions, where is it safe? The answer is the following question. Where can I make my best contribution towards the understanding of mankind being created in the image of Hashem? Answer that question and the clarity begins to emerge. We need to look at ourselves and understand our roles and do the best that we can to maximize our self-transformation and the transformation of the world. If that's as a soldier, so be it. If that's as a mother, so be it. If that's as a teacher, so be it. But that's the question. The question is not where is it safe in the world, aside from the fact that nowhere is safe. Hopefully Yonah would let us know the truth of that. And hopefully now today, we are again being reminded of that. But it doesn't matter because we have a mission to fulfill. And on top of that, when we work on our mission, because we are the descendants of Abraham, we can actually create the better world. And there's no question that's what Hashem wants. And there's no question that Hashem will assist us if we're assisting him in that process. So back to our second question. When Hashem tells Noah to enter the ark, Hashem says, Go into the ark with all your household for you alone I have found righteous before me in this generation. Why doesn't Hashem mention this to Noah when he's building the ark? Not only 120 years later, when he's entering the ark. I think an excellent understanding of this entire teaching, which includes that you only say part of the praise of the person in front of them, is as follows. Clearly, we are allowed to say some of the praise of the person in front of them, but not all the praise. Why is this so? If on the one hand, we're afraid of making someone an egomaniac, let's not say anything nice about them. If on the other hand, we don't mind making a person an egomaniac, let's say everything nice about them. So I suggest that it's because all people have infinite greatness potential. If people were permitted to praise someone fully, then the recipient of the praise may feel that those praises are the sum total of their worthiness. Because we do not want people to feel that they are limited in their abilities or potential, we never want to give them the feeling that we can describe the sum total of who they are. It's not true. And it wouldn't be good for another person to limit themselves to whatever their greatness is at any particular moment in time. Additionally, we see 
from this teaching that it is good. It's a good thing to praise a person in some fashion because this is what Hashem does in encouraging Noah to enter the ark. So if that's true, why indeed does Hashem not praise Noah in order to encourage him to build the ark? And perhaps we can explain this by positing that a righteous person needs the most encouragement when he feels like his righteousness is not creating a better universe. When this occurs, the tzaddik feels helpless and completely alone in his futile efforts to bring good and transformation to the world. Indeed, the below sentence from Tehillim seems to indicate that being righteous is a handicap. In Tehillim, when we say this in our daily prayers in the morning in Pesuke de Zimra, Hashem restores the sight to the blind. Hashem makes those who are bent stand straight. Hashem loves the righteous. Why does the sentence include Hashem's love for the righteous in the same verse as straightening people that are handicapped or restoring sight to the blind? My suggestion is that it's because often being righteous means going against a rising tide of wickedness, which feels horrible and tremendously depleting. It is then that Hashem needs to show love to the righteous people in ways that will allow the righteous people to be encouraged and to persevere. We suffered unbelievable blow, Shmini Atzeres of this year, to our entire people. It's devastating that Hashem could even allow that to happen is beyond, beyond mind comprehension. Mind and, I think, human comprehension. Nonetheless, we also know of the tremendous ways that Hashem has cared for his nation over these last 80 years. Just the fact that we have Eretz Israel again with some sort of governance, with a military, is literally mind-boggling in, in its kindness from Hashem. We know that Mashiach is not here and the Golas is not at an end. We cannot overlook the ways in which Hashem has also encouraged us. So when it came time for Noah to build the ark, was not the time of Noah's greatest need for encouragement. Hashem told Noah, you know, the world might be coming to an end. I'm giving them a chance to repent, build the ark. Okay. But when it came time for Noah to accept that the world is going to implode and Noah and his family are going to survive, that's a tremendously hard thing for Noah to accept. And it's at that time that Hashem is encouraging Noah and telling him of his righteousness and that what he's done is truly good and righteous, despite the fact that it has not helped the world around him. The flood is actually happening, which is a gargantuan admission to Noah that he did not succeed in changing the world and averting global disaster. That's when Noah receives Hashem's love and encouragement, and Hashem reassures Noah regarding the fact of this righteousness by saying that it is him alone that Hashem found righteous in that generation. Whenever, God forbid, a righteous person would need to leave behind a world or community or people he worked so hard to help and did not see the success of his labors, he desperately needs the emotional support and encouragement that Hashem lovingly provides. That's a major lesson in how Hashem partners with righteous people to fortify them to continue their efforts of working righteously to improve the world. 
as devoted members of the Jewish people, we must work tirelessly against the evil and the degradation of mankind. This does not mean shaming people for their sins. This does not mean punishing people for succumbing to base desires and temptations. It does mean speaking the truth. Working against evil means proper execution of free choice, living with true dignity, exercising self-control, acting with selflessness, increasing our spirituality, and concretizing our potential for infinity by intensive Torah study and observance. Of course, we have to answer our most confusing dilemmas and questions. And the answer for today is to begin with the question, where is my best contribution to help myself and the world to a greater transformation, understanding that we are all created in the image of Hashem? How can we protect the cause of Avraham and his descendants? How can we bring about the fruition of the ultimate development of the Jewish nation? What is my role in all of that? I'll just conclude with a very interesting teaching from the Balaturim, where he mentions that when the Torah says that the Teva had three levels, it says, Tachtiyim, Shniyim, Ushlishim, Ta'aseha. Bottom, second, and third floor. Third being the level of the people, which is interesting that it went up in that, in that order. So the Baal term says that this word Shlishim actually occurs when the Jewish people are in the desert and they're encamped and they're becoming flags and now they're traveling as different divisions with tribes and each tribe has its own flag. Over there it also says that one of the Degalim traveled as third, Shlishim. So one explanation in the Baal term is that the reason that Noah and his family and ultimately humanity were saved is because one day the Jews would travel through the desert with their global, I'm sorry, with their tribal divisions with a global mission of the Jewish people. And I think that that's very relevant to the, for today. Even saving Noah is only worth it if ultimately there is going to be an Avraham, the Jewish people with the Torah and the nation that will represent God's mission in the world. That's the only way that even Noah is saved. So the third floor, which represents the human habitation of the ark in Parshas Noah, is actually referencing the tribal divisions of flags and the traveling of the Jewish army of Hashem. That's what the Torah is referencing when it's talking about the human habitation of the ark, because that's where the goal of humanity needs to be achieved. And so I think it's important that all of us recognize, all of us here in America, across the world, recognize that we are not living in business as usual times. We need to be making every concerted effort to be kind to each other, to encourage one another, to remind each other of our specific mission as the children of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, with the directives of the Torah. We have to be davening, knowing that our collective lives are in danger. Just because only some of us are on the front lines doesn't mean that we're not actually all on the front lines. 
We have to empathize with those that are in immediate danger. But we have to understand that the existential threat is to our entire nation. And the way to cope is not to descend into fear, not to descend into victimhood, and not to descend in blaming all the anti-Semites and evil people in the world. That's not the job now. The job now is to be much more in touch with our individual and collective mission of reminding the world what is a Jew, what is a human being, and what is the truth. Questions or comments? Comment and a question from Robertson Begelman. I just, I think it's interesting that Hashem praises Noah exactly at the time when he was criticized because he, he wasn't able to, um, that was a criticism, right? And he wasn't able to influence, like he built the table for so many years and he wasn't able to influence anybody around him. So it's like, so uh, Robertson Begelman is pointing out that it's a little troublesome that Hashem is praising Noah at a time when it's also clear that Noah has not been able to turn the tide. He's not been able to stave off the destruction of the, the world through the flood. It's true. I think that that is a very important point. It's a very somber point. It's a sobering point. Uh, we have not succeeded here in this country or across the world in saving millions and millions of assimilated Jews. I think that that's a relevant parallel. Um, it's terrible. And in my opinion, it's a major part of the reason that we're in the predicament that we're in. Um, and okay, so we have to, we have to, we have to acknowledge that truth. Um, you know, we still have time. Maybe we can't save all those that we have not yet saved, but maybe there are more that we can. We have to get a little bit more serious about about our, our job. Um, again, you know, what are the points of specific strengthening and encouragement from Hashem? I think there are a lot. Uh, part of the problem is that we've fallen asleep at the wheel. We've taken so much for granted. As a nation, there are many problems that we have. I don't want to go today and talk, talking about all of them, you know, whether it's luxuries and money, etc. But it's not too late. It really is not too late. But we do have to know that you're right. We're, we are in this situation and we have failed. Now let's do better. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess, like taking from the example of thought, Hashem, it's, a, it's kind of, it's encouraging. Hashem is like exactly at that moment, Hashem is like really encouraging. Yeah, he is encouraging for sure what Noah still can do very well, which is to go into the table and save humanity. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, it is a very also devastating moment. But okay, you know, we'll do better. That's all we can do. I have a question. Yes, Revison Watson, good to have you on. Hi, uh, thank you for your class. It was very, very good. Thank you. Um, I had a question similar on this topic of like the evil in the world and like specifically now what's going on um, that was very disturbing to me. Um, so I thought maybe you could shed some light on it. Like for so many generations and millennia, we've been trying to like wake up the world in a sense. And seemingly, it seems like that more the negative, more catastrophic, horrific, or, you know, gruesome massacres are what really ends up shaking people's morality. 
Um, and I'm wondering why, like, I'm very perplexed by that internally. Like, how is it that that could be what wakes up the world's morale in a sense, in the way that it has, and we've seen the past week, in comparison to so many decades of like incredible tzaddikim and amazing, you know, strides in Torah learning. Like, how is it that that seemingly these barbarians get like not the merit, but seemingly, and I don't have a better word for it, to wake up the wor- world's morale with their gruesome, disgusting acts and decades of I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't do it. So unfortunately, um, this is not a new story for the Jewish people. The Gemara says explicitly in Tractate Megillah that the removal of Achashverosh's ring, signet ring, over to Haman and giving it over to Haman was more effective than all of the prophets and prophetesses of the Jewish people. That's a straightforward line in the Talmud. And it seems that we as human beings have a tremendous resistance to change and to the work of change without dire situations. Now, I don't say all of us, uh, but collectively as a people, we tend to fail. Now, one of the, um, I think, major mistakes, uh, forget about I think, I think think most thinking people think one of the major mistakes of the Jewish nation of the last 60 years was fighting to not forget the Holocaust instead of fighting for Jewish education. That is one of the major, major failings of our people. Part of the reason is because it's easier. You write a check to a Holocaust institution and you're done. Uh, but to actually build schools and deal with, uh, you know, people who can't afford to pay tuition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it's much harder. It's a much more ongoing problem and you need to do a lot more work. And that itself ends up being the main reason why people deny and run away from truth is because of the work that confronting the truth really takes. So whether it's um, now people are thinking about making our school safer, you know, what about having more students in the school? Um, What about all the previous years, you know, that there's so much to be done. And and unfortunately, part of the illusion of people, and I hope to write something on, on this in the near future, part of the illusion of people is that people are not fundamentally evil. So it's not going to get that bad. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Uh, mm-hmm. People don't want to acknowledge that truth because, again, looking at that truth requires so much work and it's so difficult. Which, you know, which Jewish person doesn't loathe the idea of soldiers going from house to house in Gaza? On every level, that we should be required to do that in order to protect our lives. What were we doing? Celebrating Shemini Atzeris. Some people were, okay, whatever, having a party. What were we doing? What, what, what were we doing that necessitated our, our innocent people, men, women, and children, and infants, to be killed so brutally? Nothing. And this is what we have to do now? Who doesn't hate that concept of putting more Jewish lives at stake in order to just protect ourselves? But the truth is that that is the world. That has been the world. We had a speaker come to the yeshiva maybe nine months ago, who grew up in Egypt, will tell you that it's the common philosophy expressed throughout the population of Egypt, forget about Gaza, Egypt, that the Jewish person is the infidel. 
40 days uh, fasting of Ramadan, every night party. The party is marked by the gathering of families together to watch movies about the Jews that are behind all the evil in the world. This is what he experienced growing up until he learned the truth. He says every mosque is like that. Every school is like that. Everybody, that's what everybody thinks. So one of the yeshiva bachim very astutely asked, so why isn't there more terrorism? And that's really the question. And part of that is the miracle of Hashem. And part of it is, thank God, not everybody wants to be the person to blow themselves up or to kill people. Thank God that's true. But there are loads and loads of people that have been trained for exactly that. And we just have to understand that that's the truth. So our ability to deny truth is at the root of all the problems. We deny it about ourselves, we deny it about other people, and we deny it because we don't want to do the work that truth will necessitate. Right. Okay. So how does that relate back to the, um, the getting, I don't have a better word for merit, but like being the ones that are seemingly able to no, wake Haman, up. Haman, Haman doesn't, doesn't get merit. Right. Right. You know, the, it's not a merit. It's uh it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, that God, you know, it's unfortunate that we need God to allow this. That's the best way to put it. But in their mind, they could feel like, oh, they are really freedom fighters and they're waking up the world from their, I mean, obviously, I don't think that is what they're thinking, but. Um, no, there's no know. question that a lot of them somehow have bought the, the garbage of, of the illusion of doing the right thing. And, you know, if you're asking about how do you debunk that? You know, they themselves have debunked it. There are articles that have already been uh, written where, you know, the jihadists say that, you know, the difference between them and Jews is that Jews important uh, believe that it's important to live, whereas they believe that it's important to die. That's been written already. And uh, we made that argument when we learned Parshas uh, Chayesara and contrasted Yishmael and Yitzchak, that ultimately the legacy of Yishmael was to live to die, whereas the legacy of Yitzchak is to live to live. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to be hopefully doing a, um, a Shabbaton, a scholar in residence in Passaic, where Rabbi Lazar from Passaic, New Jersey, suggested that we do the topic of living Al Kiddush Hashem. Forget about dying Al Kiddush Hashem. Let's live Al Kiddush Hashem. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Anyone else for today? All right. A good, safe, Meaningful. Yes. That's Thank right. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you.